All right, good morning. Um, boy, I tell you, what a week. Um, sitting down, working on the sermon, and uh, as I said to my wife on Tuesday, when my computer decided to do an update and I lost everything, I am pretty sure whatever I was going to say, God didn't want it to happen. <laughs> so hopefully there was more of him and less of me in this next one. And then lastly, of course, boy, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Uh, make sure you uh, they are close to my heart for obvious reasons, if you don't know, uh, retired Army. Um, but we have many veterans around here in the church. Make sure... You uh, take a moment and thank them for their service, for sure. Uh, What a great day to honor our veterans and uh, things that have happened in the past and where they've brought our country today. We just truly do thank each and every one of them for our service, or for their service. So, um, who do you love? It's been a a topic that's been on my heart for a little while, and I uh, really... Um, hope this message today will speak to you. Um, so at first glance, um, this title and in our church setting, uh, the Sunday school answer probably jumps right to your mind. So who do you love? Well, God, Jesus. Yeah, that would be a good answer. And that would be the right answer. But the question really comes after that is, do we really When we look at this question and really understand what's being asked here, um, do we really love God? So what does loving God look like? How can we love something that we cannot wrap our hands around? How um, does it even matter how we love God? The verses I chose, or God led me to, um, because that was definitely a struggle too, because again... uh, on my heart to talk about this, there are tons of verses about love, typical verses about love. We, we, we will look at some of those today, but man, there's just a litany to choose from. And when he uh, showed me these verses, I'm like, I don't know if I want to talk about that because it's hard. But he doesn't call us to be easy. He calls us to uh, talk about truth. So these verses are not the typical verses to read when we talk about love or worshiping God. So Luke 14, um, 25 through 33, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, or if you want to use a Bible that's in front of you, the red Bible's there, it'll be on page 552. So while you're turning there, I'd like to go over a little bit of where we are in Scripture. Jesus has been going about the country doing miracles. He's been healing the sick, casting out the demons, talking to crowds in ways that people could understand God even more. He has been challenging the religious leaders and exposing their hypocrisy. Currently, he's on his journey towards Jerusalem. A very large crowd had gathered. And think about that. Just for at this moment, this guy is claiming to be the Son of God. He's healing in the most outstanding ways. He made the Pharisees back down from every accusation they threw at Him. He tells stories that are thought-provoking and understandable. He talks to us, not down on us. Saying this crowd was large was probably not describing it well. 
there was every type of person in here. Uh, they were probably those who wanted to see what he was going to do next. They were just there for the show. There were those who wanted to see if he would be exposed as a fake. I told you he wasn't who he said he was. I just knew it. There were those who wanted to learn a little more before they would commit. There were those who wanted to be a part of the show, but it was all about what he did and or were they associated with him at that point. Then I'm sure there were those that were there that understand that understood who he was. And they just wanted to grow near to God and grow even a better relationship with Him and around Him. How can I make those assumptions about this crowd? Well, it's really not much different than our churches today. The same crowds come in. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke fourteen twenty five through 33. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned to and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Verse 31. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one that comes against him with 20,000? Well, if not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. So let's pray. Dear Lord, help us today to hear your heart. Help us to understand who you are. Have your Holy Spirit work on us in ways that would be life-changing. Break through our hardness and show us our ways that may be detestable to you. As the psalmist writes, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We thank you for your ever-loving and guiding hands that are constantly molding us into your image. Lord, may your words and truths flow and be heard by those who are listening today. May they be a comfort in a storm or a conviction in our comfort. Hide me behind the cross and have your glory shine through this message today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, it starts out with great crowds. Jesus knew what was going on in those crowds. We will look at a couple other verses that show He knows exactly what needs to be said based on what your heart is desiring. The first thing you may have noticed, Jesus seems to contradict all the other teachings in the Bibles was his very first words. Hate your family? Hate yourself? 
I'm pretty sure the greatest commandment missed that terminology. As you may know, with any Bible study we do, there seems to be some issue with bringing Scripture to the English language. Our language takes some very personal and detailed languages and then assigns one word to cover everything. For example, everyone knows what the word love means. If I say I love my wife or I say I love Pastor John, those better not mean the same thing (laughs) or I'm sure there will be some major issues. That being an extreme example, I did look up in the Greek and Hebrew what hate means and if by any chance there were different words for that. And no, there are not different words for hate. But the Hebrew and Aramaic languages, they like to use opposites to express a meaning. It shows a lot more than just being able to say love less. A great example of this is Genesis 29, 30, and 31. We see a story about Jacob and his love for Rachel over Leah. In verse 30, we see Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. In verse 31, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. But if you read the whole story, it only shows the difference between these two women. Nowhere in the story was Leah actually hated by Jacob. But it is said that Jacob had no love for her. So it was there for a contrast in the extreme sense. So how does this look with something today? I might say something like, I like plums. I like eating them. I don't hate them in any way. I would enjoy eating a plum now and then. They're delicious and even sometimes would love to have more than one. But if plums stood on their own, I can definitely say I like them. But now let's compare them to Dan Long's cookies. All right, I hate plums at that point. Okay, I'm going to choose a Dan Long cookie, and I do love cookies. So in comparison, my less like would resemble hate. Jesus says here, hate your mother and father, wife and children, brother and sisters, and even your own life. His terms are not referencing true hate. The commandment, honor your mother and father, would not work. What he is saying here is love for me should be much greater than your love for these. If you are looking in a translation that is word for word, then you probably see the word hate. If your translation is a thought for thought, then you might see something more like you must love me, Jesus, more, or even maybe love them less. So let's jump back into the crowd. Now we get a small glimpse of what kind of love we are called to. Jesus is being radical here for a reason. If you were in this crowd and you were only there for the show, the spectacle, or even just weekly following Jesus, these words would have totally taken you back. What did he just say? David Platt, when describing these verses, said, Jesus just blew evangelism 101 right out of the water. How about telling Tom about that evangelism moment? Hey, I just told my coworker to hate their family and even hate themselves if they want to follow Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's not going to go over well. And that's not what's being said here. Yes, Jesus is making a point to those who are weakly following. And yes, he most likely thinned the crowds with his words. By the way, Jesus can do that. We can't. 
But why did he say this? And why does God allow this count in the Gospels? Because he wants to show you that love for him is first and foremost and pales to any other love in comparison. I'm sure there were those in the crowd that Jesus knew would have no understanding. They have been following but not listening. So when he spoke like this, I'm sure people were taking him at face value because they really didn't know what he was teaching. So let's look somewhere else in Scripture. If for nothing else, well then to back up the meaning of this Scripture we just talked about. Luke 18.18, you see a ruler comes and asks him. A ruler asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then we drop right down to verses 22 and 23. And Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he told them, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. We can't say Jesus didn't mean what he said here. He meant every word. But he saw this young man's heart. Jesus meant it for him. He knew this man's true love was in all his possessions. Possessions are not bad in themselves. But there is a very hard lesson here. What is in between you and God? What is keeping you from that true love? Is all you have and all you care for uppermost in your heart? Or do you richly and deeply know God owns it, God gives it, and God takes it away? Right here is the sermon question. Who do you love? This man loved all he had. And he made the decision to stay comfortable. There is a flip side to Jesus telling us to hate these things. He uses an extreme case so Jesus can get the point across to the ones who just want to have fire insurance. So we cannot use these verses to neglect what we are called to do. We are to take care of family. We are to make plans to prosper. Honor our mother and father. We cannot hate the creation God has made in us. There is nothing bad in desiring nice things, take a minute to refresh and reset, or taking a family vacation. But does that take the place of God? Or does God go before all these? This brings a little more depth to do all things for the glory of God. Because I love God, not because He commands us, because we, want to, because we want to out of love. Matt Chandler keeps reminding us throughout the James studies that we're doing on Wednesday night, God's commands are not a list of thou shall and thou shall nots, but a call to a richer and fuller life and a deeper love than you can imagine. The Bible is full of commands. Because He loves us. He wants us to be content in Him and with Him. Who do you love? God over all is the perfect way to live. By the way, Tom showed this past week we went to Bethesda. Dr. Whitworth from the BRN was preaching and he had a great message. 
I want to paraphrase a little bit out of what he said because it helps understand where this love can take us. At one point of the message, he talked about being filled. He said, I can fill up with so much food that I could go into a coma. It would literally hurt. I can't even eat anymore. Stuff. If I buy so much stuff, I actually get tired of it or I have so much I don't want it anymore. Everything here on this earth I can fill up with, but I can never have enough God. When you fill up with God, you want more. And then the more you get, the more you want. Never satisfied with God. There is a side effect, though, also to loving God more. And that is you love others more. I know these verses are not about hating your family because when you put your trust in God and act on His Word and love Him more, it will take what you thought was love for your spouse, kids, parents, others, it'll make it grow a hundredfold, which in turn brings you to love God even more. And as you start to apply this and understand this cycle, doesn't end. God, talk to God, pray and ask Him, What am I putting between us? Let's look at some of the possibilities. We just talked about that rich young ruler's example that that he was putting possessions ahead of God. But maybe if we look a little different circumstances and we can see these next verses. Remember, Jesus never says you can't be rich or have nice things. He just said don't worship those things or be arrogant about them. So in Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. There are many illustrations we can take from this short little story, and all would be talking about a part of our life that could be very convicting to us. But to stick with the topic today, who loved more in this story? Offerings are giving to further God's kingdom because we love Him. It doesn't matter who's here preaching each week, although you should be learning from them and as and we as elders should be tending to the spiritual needs of the flock. Um, that is not the ultimate reason we should be giving to the church. This past Wednesday, the budget was sent out to all the church members. That budget should show the direction God wants this church to go. In a couple weeks, we will vote on this budget to be in place for 2020. Every line in this budget is prayed about. If you are a ministry head, this is what God is allowing you to be responsible for. That's a whole other sermon. But we as members of this church say, this is the direction we want our church to go. Then we give to God so the mission can be accomplished. 
I do not believe a tithe is correct discipline, uh, correct giving discipline. I believe 10% is just a standard from the Old Testament, and it's a great goal to shoot for if you're not doing that. But as Jesus just pointed out, what are you giving from? If 10% is comfortable, well then where is the rest going? In context with this message, the widow gave more, and it really had nothing to do with percentages. If you want to see where your passion, love, or desires lie, then look at your checkbook. Or nowadays, your bank statement because of debit cards. What is important to you? Or what do you love? Look at our budget. The same rule applies. Where our church monies go is where the heart of this church lies. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But at the same time, you start being more disappointed when we don't make our budget. Because now God's plan for this church cannot be accomplished to the extent we all intended it to be. I would like to point out one thing that if you've been in our church for a while, you may have heard Dan Long quote this scripture when it comes to giving. Malachi 3.10 Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in ways, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for your measure. Test me in giving. This is the only reference to testing God, and it is in giving. Just understand, God's Word does does say blessing. Don't try to put your own definition to blessing. I, I believe you will... I believe you will be blessed. Without a doubt, God says it, He'll do it. But it may not necessarily be money for money. God is not a slot machine. So check your heart before you exercise this test. Again, more sermons for other days. How about the big example? And just maybe a different look into some some familiar verses. Our deacon scripture today... Mark twelve thirty through 31 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Matthew twenty two forty says, And all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. All the law. Do you want to love God more? Then seek Him above all things. How? These two commands. These two commands cover all the law. That is what Matthew just wrote. So let's put this into a little perspective. Kids and grandkids, and I'm talking the young little ones. How do you know they love you? Well, they seek you. How great a smile and when they run to you and you see that adoration, it just warms your heart. Listen They listen to you and follow your ways, or they honor you. They are kind to you. And I believe this covers the second commandment. Now here, we on this earth with our fleshly desires, the kids will do what they do because they want what they want. Their focus comes off of you and onto their desires. Now where's the love? I want to play longer. I don't want any dinner. 
We know it is right and good for them to eat dinner, but they are being pulled towards that temporary feeling of play or joy while we are trying to pull them into a greater contentment and a longer-lasting joy. Think about this. If we could let them play, the fun wouldn't last forever. One way, they have fun playing till they drop from exhaustion because they just missed that dinner you offered them. Another way... Something changes and now it is not fun anymore. But we know that eating brings health and energy for a long-lasting time. So joy and contentment. I will concede that these types of joys are brought about differently, but nonetheless, they are joy. We are the same with our Heavenly Father. We find a temporary joy that satisfies us we run to it it won't last comfort food bury ourselves in work to get the praise for man shopping and getting something new getting lost in the fantasy of video games or maybe even possibly burying yourself in the bible now on the surface there's little wrong with most of these great tasting food And awesome flavors are God's creation. We should be able to delight in them. Work is healthy and allows us to have an abundant life. Buying new things does help with rest. Maybe ministries or hobbies that can open up new friendships and evangelism opportunities. Playing video games to, again, to maybe rest or just have a little fun. Or to reach another group of people. But Bible study? Wait. How can that not be loving God? Well, if we run to all these things first, and if these things tend to consume us, we forget running to God. We could have a love problem that's showing up as an idol. That Bible study is to show... So, in that Bible study, is it to show how great you are? Or are you trying to learn how great He is? Do you seek God first in all that you do? When you see Him, does it excite you? I hope this is true as Christians. But what happens when our desire comes off of Him and onto ourselves? By the way, He's always there. It doesn't take much to find Him. Are you looking? Do you follow His ways? The Bible has all His requests of us. Is there a desire to know Him more and follow His commandments? God created everything. And then He gave us a book that tells us how everything works. I know guys don't like to read instructions until things fall apart. Then we break them out. Well guys, if this is your policy with Bible reading, then I'm going to say things are falling apart. If you don't agree and all is well, just wait. I'm not saying reading the Bible will keep things from falling apart. But I will say it will help you go through the process and it will help you put things together. Just like directions. How do I love God? Loving others. Do you rejoice with the neighbor that just got a new job? Do you ache for the same neighbor when they're struggling? Do you hear a story of a random stranger's life-altering problem and feel hurt for them? 
Do you watch the impossible just happen with someone you don't even know and then rejoice in their success? Do you serve at church or in your community? So these simple verses tell us to love God and love others, but they should remind us of who we love. So who do we love? Search your heart, seek the right answer, and I know I skipped a lot of verses in the middle today, but that just leads to a part two someday. So as we look how verse 33 describes what it takes to be a follower and really search deep to see where your love for Him fits on this scale. Verse 33, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce your possessions cannot be my disciple. As Christians, we need to always be evaluating our lives in this respect. What has anything we have ever done to deserve a love that is more than what we should devote to God? What possessions, physical or emotional, are we either running to instead of God or holding on to, keeping us from a deep, deep love of our Savior? These verses we looked at today did leave out one aspect of loving God more than anything else. Our love for our Father and others will grow leaps and bounds higher than you can imagine, which in turn will grow your love for God even more, which will then grow your love for others, and so on and so on. If you say you're a Christian, then who do you love? We accepted Him as our Savior at some point in our life, but we still live in this flesh. The two greatest commandments are summation of the law. But what was the law put there for? Oh, yeah, to show us we cannot do it on our own. We love like this because it is a goal. But we can't reach this goal because we are still sinners. But each and every day we should be striving to be better than where we were yesterday. It will take a lifetime of loving God and messing up. But Christ died for our transgressions and our screw-ups so we could be acceptable to a righteous and loving God. It does not mean we just sit back and stop trying. To love Him means to get up, look for Him, and try again. Read the instructions when it falls apart. Who do you love? Christ for paying the price and God for giving His only begotten Son. What possession can compare to that? Show your love by being a little more Christ-like today than you were yesterday. Do others see Christ in you? See the change and make the change. You just may influence someone else's eternity by the change you make today. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, you too can find a love that knows no bounds. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Do you understand this verse from James, from Romans? <laughs> he, Jesus, gave His life, paid our price to a righteous God, which has every right to judge us based on our every flaw. Have you ever told a lie? Then you're a liar. Have you ever taken something without asking? Then you're a thief. Have you ever truly hated or despised someone? 
Well, you're a murderer. Jesus died while we were liars, thieves, and murderers. We don't change first and then run to Him. He takes us as we are, right where we are. Just open your heart and ask Him in. Right where you're sitting. If you're not sure and you feel something tugging, you want to ask questions, you can see me, an elder, a deacon, or talk to anyone any one of the members of East Shore Baptist Church, and we can help you understand and see God as the one who wants to be a part of every aspect of your life. He's just waiting for you to say, okay, don't wait any longer. The Bible says we do not know what tomorrow holds. So prepare for eternity today. Matt Chandler in his James study says, James is being generous with this statement. We do not know what's going to happen the next hour, let alone tomorrow. This is so true. We don't know what's going to, the next minute holds, or what could happen on the way home today. So, who or what do you love? Let's pray. Dear Lord, take away our blind spots. We obviously can't see them, that's why they're called blind spots. Help us to see you and focus on you. If there is someone here today that does not know you, then I pray, Lord, pour out your love and open their heart to know you more. If there are struggles, then please, Jesus, comfort them. We love you because you first loved us. Help us to grow our love for you as we grow closer to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.